on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, Pastor Steve Converse continues our look at Old Testament examples of prayer. Jehoshaphat's prayer today. Praying in the face of our great need requires humbling ourselves before God and others. We can't come before God with a proud heart. There's no other way. And seeing God is all sufficient. See, that's the foundation of any true prayer. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Today, we continue our series, Old Testament Examples of Prayer. And if you'll join us, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's a prayer Jehoshaphat gives us, a prayer out of utter need, which really is at the heart of all prayer. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This morning, we're doing a little series on Old Testament examples of prayer. I just want to read our text for us this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are the Azazam Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Verse 13, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord, with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of uh, Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. 
Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jurel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with his people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, There were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods and clothing and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries, when they had heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. This is just an incredible uh, section of Scripture. You see here this man bringing his petition before his God. And it's just miraculous what happened. Just miraculous. When we come to the story of Jehoshaphat, he's a king of Judah. Remember, the the kingdom is divided. And he provides us with some helpful instruction on the subject of prayer and trusting God in the face of severe trials. He was basically a pretty good king. The Bible says that he sought to follow the Lord and bring God's people back to him. In verse chapter 19, verses 4-11, to it tells us that in 2 Chronicles. He ruled in the southern kingdom. At the same time, there was a wicked king up north who ruled King Ahab. Did everything dishonoring before the Lord. And even though he was a good king, Jehoshaphat, he had a 
character flaw. <laughs> he had an issue, like we all do. But his issue was, is that he had a tendency to make wrong alliances with the king up north who was not a good guy. He was godless. He actually went into battle with Ahab. And as a result, he almost lost his life. He even arranged for his son to marry Ahab and Jezebel's wicked daughter, Athaliah. And if you know the story later on, she was the one who basically slaughtered off the entire Davidic line except for one infant son named Joash who was hidden away from her murderous rant. But here we see Jehoshaphat and he, he formed these ill-fated business alliances even with Ahab's son, Azaziah. And I understand his motive. His motive might have been good. The kingdom is divided. Let's reunite. God doesn't like things divided. We see the same thing going on, unfortunately, even in modern day churches today. Let's just all get together in a circle and forget about the theology. We'll just hold hands and sing kumbaya. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to, you know, kind of speak about theology because that's so diverse. There's so many people that believe different things. Let's just all say we believe in Jesus and let's just be happy in Jesus together. Check the theology at the door. That's very dangerous. God doesn't call us to that kind of unity. Jehoshaphat formed these ill-fated alliances with this wicked king and with his son even. And even though his intent was good, the outcome was bad. Well, in verses 1 and 2 of Second Chronicles chapter 20, we see one morning Jehoshaphat was shaken out of his sleep by his intelligent forces and they came running in with horrifying news it says a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram or better Edom and behold they are Azan Tamar that is in Gedi see this is a enemy it's in a coalition about 15 miles south of Jerusalem on the western shore of the Dead Sea and all of a sudden Jehoshaphat's life and his entire kingdom he was the king his entire kingdom were at stake and basically facing extinction. I mean, if you want to panic, now's a good time to panic, right? I mean, when you're in the face of seeing your life wiped out and everything you've worked for wiped out, you might be okay to panic at that point. Most people would say it's okay to panic at that point. You see people in crises, whether it's an automobile accident or maybe they're in the hospital and they're told some horrible news and you see panic on their faces. What would you do if you heard some threatening news that affected your entire future and maybe even your life? What would your response be? Well, we look to Jehoshaphat and this godly king. He did exactly the right thing. It says that he called a national prayer meeting and he encouraged the people to trust God in the face of this overwhelming crisis. And you know what? They did it. And he literally, the story tells us, won the war with prayer alone. Without even getting the, 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 the swords out. This lesson today will teach us our great need should drive us to prayer and faith in our great God. We're going to go through this quickly, so hold on. We see here, first of all, their great need in verses 1 through 4. And we should relate that to our great need. And when we have a great need, it should drive us to prayer. I mean, that's kind of obvious to any believer. But just because it's obvious doesn't make it automatic. At least not in my life it doesn't. 
There's many times that I've been faced with a great need and I'm trying to figure it out. Sometimes hours, sometimes days, sometimes weeks, months. And then finally God says, have you prayed about this? And you stop and you realize, wow, here I am trying to figure this mess out. God, help me. And all of a sudden everything becomes clear. The problem's still there. He doesn't just take the problem away, but he gives you wisdom and he gives you insight. So our great need should drive us to prayer, but it doesn't happen automatically. See, it's easy to read this story and miss what a great thing it was for this king, Jehoshaphat, to call his nation to prayer in the midst of being attacked by their enemies. I mean, nobody would have said, that's a good time to panic, Jehoshaphat. I mean, you got people coming at you from every side. They made an alliance against you and your people. Now's a good time to panic. Nobody would begrudge him that. And when he heard the news of this army within his borders, he could understand, or we could understand if he said, hey, you know what? We need to, we need to get all the generals together, you know, get the troops ready and everything and get them all lined up. We're going to go fight this thing. Oh yeah, you know what? Okay, let, let's downward prayer. Lord bless our efforts. Amen. Okay, let's get them. That's kind of what we do. That's what we do. But instead, Jehoshaphat, it says he turned his attention to seek the Lord and to call the nation to prayer and fasting. And that wasn't an automatic thing to do. Just as it was not in the life of Jehoshaphat, it's not in our life either. Just because we're Christians and we believe in an all-powerful God, God is sovereign, He's all, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing. When we are faced with a crisis, it doesn't mean that we just automatically go to God. Because if you're like me, a lot of times, that's down the, on the list a little bit. We try to figure things out. I mean, he not only could have reacted with panic, but he also could have felt angry toward God. And the reason I say that, if you look at verse 1, at the very beginning, it says, after this, well, after what? If you go back, and we're not going to spend time this morning, but if you go back and you read verses 19, or chapter 19, you're going to see that Jehoshaphat began to make things right. He went and spent extreme amount of measure of, of effort and everything to set things right within his kingdom. He made certain reforms that would be honoring to the Lord. He instituted a number of, of different things that would bring that nation back to God. Verses 4 to 11 of chapter 19. And all of a sudden he's facing extinction by these armies coming against him. I mean, it would have been very easy for Jehoshaphat to shake his fist at God and go, hey, wait a minute, what's the deal? You know, we've been kind of really working at reforming and turning this nation around and doing all the right things in the right way. Why are you bringing this now, God? Tried to bring this nation back to you. I taught them to put away their idols and they did it. And that they should follow you and you alone because you're worthy to be trusted, God. I know that. And now we're facing annihilation from a bunch of pagans? What gives? I don't deserve this kind of treatment. I don't know about you, but I felt that way sometimes in my life. I felt certain points in my life I've tried to do everything to follow God in the right way and do the things the right way. And the mess gets worse. <laughs> things get worse. And you're pausing and you're looking at God going, what are you doing? I'm trying to, you're not making it easy for me here. That's when we begin to complain. You know, God, this isn't fair. I'm trying to follow you, but oh, I'm just getting more trouble for my efforts. And I look at my pagan neighbor who's, who's basically godless in every way and he's the one that got the raise. He's the one that's got a new car and boy, he's got everything. He's not living for you at all. And here I am trying to and it seems like things are getting worse. 
We end up getting angry at God and feeling sorry for ourselves. But you know what? It's a blessing because Jehoshaphat didn't do that. He didn't do what his flesh would have wanted him to do. He did what was not automatic, what was not just simple intuition on his part. He prayed, it says. Another response he could have had was to trust his army. I mean, he he was a king of a nation. I mean, they had incredible resources. Chapter 17, verses 12 to 19 tells us about the organization and the might of his forces. This wasn't some little piddly army. He was equipped for war. He was a king. It would have been easy to think, hey, you know what? This is what we've trained for. This is what we prepared for. Get the army ready. Call the generals. Let's go get them. But Jehoshaphat, rather than trusting his army, he publicly, look at this, he publicly admits his lack of strength. Now, for a king to do that, that's something. And he calls out on God as his only help in this time of crisis. He put God first. He put prayer first. Now, he did realize that he could do some things after he had prayed, but he realized that he could not do anything worthwhile before he prayed. See, prayer, beloved, is our strongest weapon. And I think sometimes it's our least used weapon. So he resisted the temptation to panic. He resisted the temptation to get angry or even to trust in his army. And he recognized this great need for him and his nation. And so he prayed. You might be sitting there going, man, I hope I do that the next time I'm hit with a big crisis. I I hope that, you know, I follow Jehoshaphat's example. I want you to be careful that you so easily commit to that. Because to understand this story, we have to see that Jehoshaphat's call to prayer was very humiliating. It was humiliating for him. And that brings us here, praying in the face of our great need requires humbling ourselves before God and others. We can't come before God with a proud heart. Last week we looked at true humility, seeing ourselves as absolutely destitute. There's no other way. And seeing God as all-sufficient. See, that's the foundation of any true prayer. Jehoshaphat Remember, he was a king. He was the king of Judah. And if you remember back in the ancient East, in their socioeconomic culture in which they lived in, kings were a very proud bunch. They had an image to maintain. Leaders had to be tough. They had to inspire confidence in those who followed them with their leadership skills. I mean, what kind of leader, to be honest with you, admits in front of his people, hey, you know what, I'm really afraid. Because we're helpless. We can't do anything. That's exactly what he did. That's not good politics, but that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. He admitted his fear. He called for a national prayer meeting. And then he prayed in front of everyone about how weak he was. Verse 12. See, it would have been better politically to pray in private. (laughs) Let's go pray in private. We can have a little prayer meeting and then we'll get up in front of the people and say, hey, we got a little problem. Nothing to worry about, folks. You know, uh, God is on our side. Our troops are mustered. We're ready to go and uh, pray for us while we go out and defend everybody. That would have been the logical thing to do. But you know what? Jehoshaphat was not worried about politics. He wasn't worried about his public image. See, he knew that when he was in deep trouble, if God didn't answer, it was over. And so he openly admits his weakness. And he calls upon the Lord. One of the works of John Bunyan entitled An Acceptable Sacrifice 
he mentions these two scriptures, Psalm 51.17 that says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And also Psalm 34.18 where it says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. On those two verses, he comments and he says this, John Bunyan does. He says, conversion is not the smooth, easygoing process some men seem to think. It is a wounding work. Of course, this breaking of hearts. But without wounding, there is no saving. See, the biblical theme here is that we must humble ourselves before God. And you know what? That runs absolutely counterintuitive to what the current wave of worldly wisdom flooding our churches with teaches. Which basically says, well, no, you got to feel good about yourself. you got to build up your self-esteem. You know, you are somebody. Personally, I think we should be more concerned about whether or not we have God's esteem, not self-esteem. In the New International Version, I'm not a big fan, but this one verse, it kind of makes my point. Verse 2 of Isaiah 66, it says in the New International Version, it says, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. See, if we're self-sufficient, beloved, if we don't admit that we're needy, what do we do? We rob God of his glory. But when we recognize our great need, then we learn to humble ourselves before God. And we begin to pray. Not just by ourselves, but with other Christians who will also bear the burdens with us. Our great need should drive us to prayer. Clearly. That is so important that we need that. And once that need drives us to God in prayer, we need to understand how to pray. And that's what we want to look at. Jehoshaphat's prayer gives us some instruction on prayer. Knowing our great God should direct our prayers. Sometimes I hear Christians pray and it's like, do they even know God? Do they know anything about God? Because what they're asking is kind of counterintuitive to what the Scripture teaches. Two things to see here quickly. In our prayers, we should not only seek answers to our problem, but we should seek God Himself. So important. And yet we forget it. Verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat, what did he do? He turned his attention. In other words, what that means literally is he set his face. He determined that this was going to happen to seek the Lord. Sometimes when we're faced with a trial, all we see is a trial. We can't see anything else. So we think about the trial 24-7. We can't sleep at night because, well, the trial's so big. And we forget to say, you know what? When we're faced with these kind of things, when we're caught between a rock and a hard place, we don't just need to go to God and say, hey, uh, you know, can you help me out here? No, we need to go to God and seek Him. Seek Him. Verse 4 states that the people not only sought help from the Lord, but also it says they sought the Lord. Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come out and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, give us a call at the Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, 650-366-9923, or visit our website, gracefultruth.org. And now, once again, here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. 
I'd just like to share a few brief thoughts with our listening audience concerning some upcoming events here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. Most people are familiar with American pastor Zaid Abedini, who is being held in an Iranian prison due to his faith in Christ. Well, across America on September 26th, which will mark one year of imprisonment for Pastor Zaid, there will be prayer vigils for Pastor Zaid and his family taking place in churches, county seats, and state capitals. We will be holding a prayer vigil on the peninsula featuring a special speaker from Voice of the Martyrs at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City on Thursday, September 26th from 6.30 to 7.45 p.m. We encourage you as a community of faith to come out in support of Pastor Zaid and his family and spend time in prayer for God to intercede on his behalf. That's Thursday, September 26th from 6.30 to 7.45 p.m. We will also be hosting Pastor Zaid's wife, Nagme, on Saturday, November 16th at 10 a.m., where she'll be sharing her testimony of how her and her children are getting through this tremendous ordeal and how God continues to work in spite of her husband's persecution and imprisonment. Coming to Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, on Saturday, November 16th at 10 a.m., that's Nagme Abedini, Pastor Zaid's wife, to share her testimony. Well, once again, we want to thank you for listening to Graceful Truth each weekend, and it would be a wonderful encouragement to us to hear from you about how this program has been a blessing to your hearts. Please contact us on the web at gracefultruth.org, that's gracefultruth.org, or simply call us at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. Thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we'd love to hear from you. So call us today, 650-366-9923, or write to us, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, 94061 is our zip code. Until next time, God bless. God bless.